Section 7 of Tales of Old Japan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Awaii in September 2011. Tales of Old Japan by Lord Reedsdale. Section 7 A Story of the Otokorate of Yedo. Part 2. At this time there lived in the province of Yamato a certain daimyo, called Honda Dainaiki, who, one day, when surrounded by several of his retainers, produced a sword, and bade them look at it and say from what smith's workshop the blade had come. "'I think this must be a Mazamune blade,' said one Fuwa Banzayemon. "'No,' said Nagoya Sanza, after examining the weapon attentively. This certainly is a Muramasa. Footnote. The swords of Muramasa, although so finely tempered that they are said to cut hard iron as though it were a melon, have the reputation of being unlucky. They are supposed by the superstitious to hunger after taking men's lives and to be unable to repose in their scabbards. The principal duty of a sword is to preserve tranquillity in the world, by punishing the wicked and protecting the good. But the bloodthirsty swords of Muramasa rather have the effect of maddening their owners, so that they either kill others indiscriminately or commit suicide. At the end of the sixteenth century, Prince Tokugawa Ieyasu was in the habit of carrying a spear made by Muramasa, with which he often scratched or cut himself by mistake. Hence the Tokugawa family avoid girding on Muramasa blades, which are supposed to be specially unlucky to their race. The murders of Kompachi, who wore a sword by this maker, also contributed to give his weapons a bad name. The swords of one Toshiro Yoshimitsu, on the other hand, are specially auspicious to the Tokugawa family, for the following reason. After Ieyasu had been defeated by Taketa Katsuyori at the Battle of the River Tenrin, he took refuge in the house of a village doctor, intending to put an end to his existence by Harakiri, and, drawing his dirk, which was made by Yoshimitsu, tried to plunge it into his belly, when, to his surprise, the blade turned. Thinking that the dark must be a bad one, he took up an iron mortar for grinding medicines and tried it upon that, and the point entered and transfixed the mortar. He was about to stab him a second time when his followers, who had missed him and had been searching for him everywhere, came up, and seeing their master about to kill himself, stayed his hand and took away the dark by force. Then they set him upon his horse and compelled him to fly to his own province of Mikawa, whilst they keep his pursuers at bay. After this, when, by the favour of heaven, Ieyasu became shogun, it was considered that of a surety there must have been a good spirit in the blade that refused to drink his blood, and ever since that time the blades of Yoshimitsu have been considered lucky in his family. End footnote. A third samurai, named Takagi Umanojo, pronounced it to be the work of Shitsu Kanenji, 
and as they could not agree but each maintained his opinion, their lord sent for a famous connoisseur to decide the point, and the sword proved, as Sansa had said, to be a genuine Muramasa. Sansa was delighted at the verdict, but the other two went home rather crestfallen. Umanojo, although he had been worsted in the argument, bore no malice or ill-will in his heart, but Banzayemon, who was a vainglorious personage, puffed up with the idea of his own importance, conceived a spite against Sansa, and watched for an opportunity to put him to shame. At last, one day, Banzayemon, eager to be revenged upon Sansa, went to the prince and said, "'Your lordship ought to see Sansa fence. His swordmanship is beyond all praise. I know that I am no match for him. Still, if it will please your lordship, I will try about with him.' And the prince, who was a mere stripling and thought it would be rare sport, immediately sent for Sansa and desired he would fence with Banzayemon. So the two went out into the garden, and stood up facing each other, armed with wooden swords. Now Banzayemon was proud of his skill, and thought he had no equal in fencing, so he expected to gain an easy victory over Sansa, and promised himself the luxury of giving his adversary a beating that should fully make up for the mortification which he had felt in the matter of the dispute about the sword. It happened, however, that he had undervalued the skill of Sansa, who, when he saw that his adversary was attacking him savagely and in good earnest, by a rapid blow struck Banzayemon so sharply on the wrist that he dropped the sword, and before he could pick it up again, delivered a second cut on the shoulder, which sent him rolling over in the dust. All the officers present, seeing this, praised Sansa's skill, and Banzayemon, utterly stricken with shame, ran away home and hid himself. After this affair, Sansa rose high in the favour of his lord, and Banzayemon, who was more than ever jealous of him, feigned sickness, and stayed at home devising schemes for Sansa's ruin. Now it happened that the prince, wishing to have the Muramasa blade mounted, sent for Sansa and entrusted it to his care, ordering him to employ the most cunning workmen in the manufacture of the scabbard-hilt and ornaments, and Sansa, having received the blade, took it home and put it carefully away. When Banzayemon heard of this, he was overjoyed, for he saw that his opportunity for revenge had come. He determined, if possible, to kill Sansa, but at any rate to steal the sword which had been committed to his care by the prince, knowing full well that if Sansa lost the sword, he and his family would be ruined. Being a single man without wife or child, he sold his furniture, and, turning all his available property into money, made ready to fly the country. When his preparations were concluded, he went in the middle of the night to Sansa's house and tried to get in by stealth, but the doors and shutters were all carefully bolted from the inside, and there was no hole by which he could effect an entrance. All was still, however, and the people of the house were evidently fast asleep, so he climbed up to the second story, and, having contrived to unfasten a window, made his way in. 
With soft cat-like footsteps he crept downstairs, and, looking into one of the rooms, saw Sanza and his wife sleeping on the mats, with their little son Kozanza, a boy of thirteen, curled up in his quilt between them. The light in the night-lamp was at its last flicker, but, peering through the gloom, he could just see the prince's famous Muramasa sword lying on a sword-rack in the raised part of the room, so he crawled stealthily along until he could reach it, and struck it in his girdle. Then, drawing near to Sanza, he bestrode his sleeping body, and, brandishing the sword, made a thrust at his throat. But in his excitement his hand shook, so that he missed his aim, and only scratched Sanza, who, waking with a start and trying to jump up, felt himself held down by a man standing over him. Stretching out his hands he would have wrestled with his enemy, when Banzayemon, leaping back, kicked over the night-lamp, and throwing open the shutters, dashed into the garden. Snatching up his sword, Sansa rushed out after him, and his wife, having lit a lantern and armed herself with a halberd, went out with her son Kozanza, who carried a drawn dirk, to help her husband. Footnote the halberd is the special arm of the Japanese woman of gentle blood. That which was used by Kaza Gozen, one of the ladies of Yoshitsune, the hero of the twelfth century, is still preserved at Asakusa. In old-fashioned families young ladies are regularly instructed in fencing with the halberds. End footnote. Then Banzayemon, who was hiding in the shadow of a large pine-tree, seeing the lantern and dreading detection, seized a stone and hurled it at the light, and, chancing to strike it, put it out, and then, scrambling over the fence unseen, fled into the darkness. When Sanza had searched all over the garden in vain, he returned to his room and examined his wound, which proving very slight, he began to look about to see whether the thief had carried off anything. But when his eye fell upon the place where the Muramasa sword had lain, he saw that it was gone. He hunted everywhere, but it was not to be found. The precious blade with which his prince had entrusted him had been stolen, and the blame would fall heavily upon him. Filled with grief and shame at the loss, Sanza and his wife and child remained in great anxiety until the morning broke, when he reported the matter to one of the prince's counsellors, and waited in seclusion until he should receive his lord's commands. It soon became known that Banzayemon, who had fled the province, was the thief, and the councillors made their report accordingly to the prince, who, although he expressed his detestation of the mean action of Banzayemon, could not absolve Sansa from blame, in that he had not taken better precautions to ensure the safety of the sword that had been committed to his trust. It was decided, therefore, that Sansa should be dismissed from his service, and that his goods should be confiscated, with the provision that, should he be able to find Banzayemon and recover the lost Muramasa blade, he should be restored to his former position. Sansa, who from the first had made up his mind that his punishment would be severe, accepted the decree without a murmur, 
and, having committed his wife and son to the care of his relations, prepared to leave the country as a ronin, and search for Banzayemon. Before starting, however, he thought that he would go to his brother officer, Takagi Umanojo, and consult with him as to what course he should pursue to gain his end. But this Umanojo, who was by nature a churlish fellow, answered him unkindly, and said, It is true that Banzayemon is a mean thief, but still it was through your carelessness that the sword was lost. It is of no avail your coming to me for help. You must get it back as best you may. Ah, replied Sansa, I see that you too bear me a grudge because I defeated you in the matter of the judgment of the sword. You are no better than Banzayemon yourself. And his heart was bitter against his fellow men, and he left the house determined to kill Umanojo first, and afterwards to track out Banzayemon. So, pretending to start on his journey, he hid in an inn, and waited for an opportunity to attack Umanojo. One day Umanojo, who was very fond of fishing, had taken his son Umanosuke, a lad of sixteen, down to the seashore with him, and as the two were enjoying themselves, all of a sudden they perceived a samurai running towards them, and when he drew near they saw that it was Sanza. Umanojo, thinking that Sanza had come back in order to talk over some important matter, left his angling and went to meet him. Then Sansa cried out, "'Now, Sir Umanojo, draw and defend yourself. What? Were you in league with Banzayemon to vent your spite upon me? Draw, sir, draw! You have spirited away your accomplice, but, at any rate, you are here yourself and shall answer for your deed. It is no use playing the innocent. Your astonished face shall not save you. Defend yourself, coward and traitor!' And with these words Sansa flourished his naked sword. "'Nay, Sir Sansa,' replied the other, anxious by a soft answer to turn away his wrath, "'I am innocent of this deed. Waste not your valour on such poor a cause.' "'Lying knave!' said Sansa. "'Think not that you can impose upon me. I know your treacherous heart.' And, rushing upon Umanojo, he cut him on the forehead, so that he fell in agony upon the sand. Umanosuke, in the meanwhile, who had been fishing at some distance from his father, rushed up when he saw him in this perilous situation, and threw a stone at Sansa, hoping to distract his attention. But before he could reach the spot, Sansa had delivered the death-blow, and Umanojo lay a corpse upon the beach. "'Stop, Sir Sansa, murderer of my father!' cried Umanosuke, drawing his sword. "'Stop and do battle with me, that I may avenge his death!' "'That you should wish to slay your father's enemy,' replied Sansa, "'is but right and proper, and although I had just cause of quarrel with your father, and killed him as a samurai should, yet would I gladly forfeit my life to you here.' But my life is precious to me for one purpose, that I may punish Banzayemon and get back the stolen sword. When I shall have restored that sword to my lord, then I will give you your revenge, and you may kill me. A soldier's word is truth, but, as a pledge that I will fulfil my promise, I will give to you, as hostages, my wife and boy. 
Stay your avenging hand, I pray you, until my desire shall have been attained. Umanosuke, who was a brave and honest youth, as famous in the clan for the goodness of his heart as for his skill in the use of arms, when he heard Sanza's humble petition, relented, and said, I agree to wait, and will take your wife and boy as hostages for your return. I humbly thank you, said Sanza. When I shall have chastised Banzayemon, I will return, and you shall claim your revenge. So Sanza went his way to Yedo to seek for Banzayemon, and Umanosuke mourned over his father's grave. Now Banzayemon, when he arrived in Yedo, found himself friendless and without the means of earning his living, when by accident he heard of the fame of Chobe of Banzuin, the chief of the Otokodate, to whom he applied for assistance, and, having entered the fraternity, supported himself by giving fencing lessons. He had been plying his trade for some time, and had earned some little reputation when Sansa reached the city and began his search for him. But the days and months passed away, and, after a year's fruitless seeking, Sansa, who had spent all his money without obtaining a clue to the whereabouts of his enemy, was sorely perplexed and was driven to live by his wits as a fortune-teller. Work as he would, it was a hard matter for him to gain the price of his daily food, and, in spite of all his pains, his revenge seemed as far off as ever, when he bethought him that the Yoshivara was one of the most bustling places in the city, and that if he kept watch there, sooner or later he would be sure to fall in with Banzayemon. So he bought a hat of plaited bamboo that completely covered his face, and lay in wait at the Yoshivara. One day Banzayemon and two of Chobe's apprentices, Token Gombe and Shirobe, who, from his wild and indocile nature, was surnamed the Colt, were amusing themselves and drinking in an upper story of a tea-house in the Yoshiwara, when Token Gombe, happening to look down upon the street below, saw a samurai pass by, poorly clad in worn-out old clothes, but whose poverty-stricken appearance contrasted with his proud and haughty bearing. "'Look there,' said Gombe, calling the attention of the others. "'Look at that samurai!' Dirty and ragged as his coat is, how easy it is to see that he is of noble birth. Let us wardsmen dress ourselves up in never so fine clothes, we could not look as he does. Ay, said Shirobe, I wish we could make friends with him and ask him up here to drink a cup of wine with us. However, it would not be deemly for us wardsmen to go and invite a person of his condition. We can easily get over that difficulty, said Banzayemon. As I am a samurai myself, there will be no impropriety in my going and saying a few civil words to him, and bringing him in. The other two, having joyfully accepted the offer, Banzayemon ran downstairs, and went up to the strange samurai and saluted him, saying, I pray to wait a moment, sir samurai. My name is Fuwa Banzayemon, at your service. I am a ronin, as I judge from your appearance that you are yourself. I hope you will not think me rude if I venture to ask you to honour me with your friendship, and to come into this tea-house to drink a cup of wine with me and two of my friends. 
the strange samurai who was no other than sanza looking at the speaker through the interstices of his deep bamboo hat and recognizing his enemy banzayemon gave a start of surprise and uncovering his head said sternly have you forgotten my face banzayemon for a moment banzayemon was taken aback but quickly recovering himself he replied ah sir sanza you may well be angry with me but since i stole the muramasa sword and fled to yedo i have known no peace i have been haunted by remorse for my crime i shall not resist your vengeance do with me as it shall seem best to you or rather take my life and let there be an end of this quarrel nay answered sanza to kill a man who repents him of his sins is a base and ignoble action when you stole from me the muramasa blade which had been confided to my care by my lord i became a disgraced and ruined man give me back that sword that i may lay it before my lord and i will spare your life i seek to slay no man needlessly sir sanza i thank you for your mercy at this moment i have not the sword by me but if you will go into yonder tea-house and wait a while i will fetch it and deliver it into your hands sanza having consented to this the two men entered the tea-house where banzayemon's two companions were waiting for him but banzayemon ashamed of his own evil deed still pretended that sanza was a stranger and introduced him as such saying come sir samurai since we have the honour of your company let me offer you a wine-cup banzayemon and the two men pressed the wine-cup upon sanza so often that the fumes gradually got into his head and he fell asleep the two wardsmen seeing this went out for a walk and banzayemon left alone with the sleeping man began to revolve fresh plots against him in his mind on a sudden a thought struck him noiselessly seizing sanza's sword which he had laid aside on entering the room he stole softly downstairs with it and carrying it into the back yard pounded and blunted its edge with a stone and having made it useless as a weapon he replaced it in its scabbard and running upstairs again laid it in its place without disturbing sanza who little suspecting treachery lay sleeping off the effects of the wine at last however he awoke and ashamed at having been overcome by drink he said to banzayemon come banzayemon we have dallied too long give me the muramasa sword and let me go of course replied the other sneeringly i am longing to give it back to you but unfortunately in my poverty i have been obliged to pawn it for fifty ounces of silver if you have so much money about you give it to me and i will return the sword to you wretch cried sanza seeing that banzayemon was trying to fool him have i not had enough of your vile tricks at any rate if i cannot get back the sword your head shall be laid before my lord in its place come added he stamping his foot impatiently defend yourself with all my heart but not here in this tea-house let us go to the mound and fight it out agreed there is no need for us to bring trouble on the landlord come to the mound of the yoshiwara 
So they went to the mound, and drawing their swords began to fight furiously. As the news soon spread abroad through the Yoshiwara that a duel was being fought upon the mound, the people flocked out to see the sight, and among them came Token Gombe and Shirobe, Banzayemon's companions, who, when they saw that the combatants were their own friend and the strange samurai, tried to interfere and stop the fight, but, being hindered by the thickness of the crowd, remained as spectators. The two men fought desperately, each driven by fierce rage against the other, but Sanza, who was by far the better fencer of the two, once, twice, and again dealt blows which should have cut Banzayemon down, and yet no blood came forth. Sanza, astonished at this, put forth all his strength, and fought so skilfully that all the bystanders applauded him and Banzayemon, though he knew his adversary's sword to be blunted, was so terrified that he stumbled and fell. Sansa, brave soldier that he was, scorned to strike a fallen foe, and bade him rise and fight again. So they engaged again, and Sansa, who from the beginning had had the advantage, slipped and fell in his turn. Banzayemon, forgetting the mercy which had been shown to him, rushed up, with bloodthirsty joy glaring in his eyes, and stabbed Sanza in the side as he lay on the ground. Faint as he was, he could not lift his hand to save himself, and his craven foe was about to strike him again, when the bystanders all cried shame upon his baseness. Then Gombe and Shirobe lifted up their voices and said, "'Hold, coward! Have you forgotten how your own life was spared but a moment since? Beast of a samurai, we have been your friends hitherto, but now behold in us the avengers of this brave man.' With these words the two men drew their dirks, and the spectators fell back as they rushed in upon Banzayemon, who, terror-stricken by their fierce looks and words, fled without having dealt the death-blow to Zanza. They tried to pursue him, but he made good his escape, so the two men returned to help the wounded man. When he came to himself, by dint of their kind treatment, they spoke to him and comforted him, and asked him what province he came from, that they might write to his friends and tell them what had befallen him. Sansa, in a voice faint from pain and loss of blood, told them his name and the story of the soul and sword, and of his enmity against Banzayemon. But, said he, just now, when I was fighting, I struck Banzayemon more than once and without effect. How could that have been? Then they looked at his sword, which had fallen by his side, and saw that the edge was all broken away. More than ever they felt indignant at the baseness of Banzayemon's heart, and redoubled their kindness to Sansa. But in spite of all their efforts, he grew weaker and weaker, until at last his breathing ceased altogether. So they buried the corpse honorably in an adjoining temple, and wrote to Sansa's wife and son, describing to them the manner of his death. Now, when Sansa's wife, who had long been anxiously expecting her husband's return, opened the letter and learned the cruel circumstances of his death, she and her son Kozanza mourned bitterly over his loss. Then Kozanza, who was now fourteen years old, said to his mother, Take comfort, mother, 
for I will go to Yedo and seek out this Banzayemon, my father's murderer, and I will surely avenge his death. Now, therefore, make ready all that I need for this journey. End of section 7